15 years ago, I met Chris Yates sitting at an office computer. 24 hours ago, I watched the first episode of Watchmen. Two minutes ago, Chris told me he was pressing record. The final trailer of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is released today. Watch it. We did that 35 minutes ago. Now, my intro makes a whole lot of sense if you've ever read the Watchmen comic. And that's what we're going to be talking about on this week's show. We're talking a lot about Watchmen, but the TV show, not the comic. But the question is, do you need to have read the comic to make sense of the show? Now, to get to the answer of this, you've got me, Dan Barrett, and a guy who's never read the comic book. In fact, I'm not even sure he can read. It's Chris Yates. Uh, that's that's partially true. I've, I've certainly never read a comic book except for uh, heaps of them about Scrooge McDuck. I didn't actually mean reading comic books. I just meant reading generally. <laughs> no, I can read. Uh, yeah. um, it's funny, you know. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, no, I have never read the Watchmen uh, comic book, although I now have a very meaty trade paperback version, whatever they're called, right here in my hands, thanks to you, and I look forward Indeed. to devouring it. Load it right in your hand there. Oh, I can't wait to read it now because yeah. I also watched the first episode of Watchmen. Yeah, now, I was super excited about Watchmen. Now, I should just sort of say up front, Watchmen's a comic that came out in 1986 and ran through in 1987. Um, I wasn't reading comic books at that point. I was too young. You were barely born. I was born, but, you know, you know. I'm I'm being kind. I was a young type. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Watchmen, it was definitely far too literate for anything I would have been looking for. Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge McDuck's exactly my speed (laughs) at that point. And also, like, I probably only really came to reading Watchmen maybe in my mid to late teens. Like, it's a very literate, very dense book. And I think anyone younger than that would probably struggle with really picking up what the actual book's about. But I read it during that time in the 90s where suddenly books were getting a lot more sort of edgy and literate and a little bit more dense. So you had books around like Sandman and Preacher. And it was just like this real sort of um, rise of, you know, the more... I'm not necessarily going to say intellectual comic books, but maybe just the more mature reading experience. There was this kind of crossover into other pop culture too. Like I remember Tank Girl from that period, which was heaps of, you know, which was on my radar because of all the alternative music. Yeah, indie music was really sort of propping Mm. up comic books. And there were definitely comics that sort of imbued that indie music spirit at the time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that sort of post-Seattle... Yeah, which I mean, preachers taps into that dramatically and then... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, very interesting. Now, when Watchmen came out, like... It's. It wasn't really the first sort of adult comic book around by any means. Like there were lots of other books that were geared towards adults. It wasn't the first book that was really a literary book, but really it was the first one that kind of looked at the idea of superheroes. Well, like the first sort of mainstream big one that took the idea of superheroes and just kind of recontextualized them in more of a literate sort of a manner. So it took the very obvious conceit from now, which is what if superheroes existed in the real world? Okay, and just really took that and ran with it. So this isn't a series about people with, like, big superpowers. This is really, like, your Batman, Daredevil-level sort of street heroes. Mm. And what happens when a whole bunch of people just decide to put on costumes and start fighting crime? But then what happens to the world when you have a legitimate superhero that kind of gets dropped in the middle of it, where science from the mid-50s ends up actually creating a... I'll call him a nuclear man, for want of a better phrase. And how does the world sort of change and react against a presence like that existing in the world? And it's just this interesting conceit that ends up with some fairly horrific circumstances by the end of the miniseries. And if you've seen the movie based on it, okay, you've probably got a preconception of what the film, of what the comic book was. But the comic book tried to adapt the... 
the movie tried to attack the comic book in as literal manner as possible and completely lost a lot of the sort of literary subtext that yeah, exists right. in the comic. And it became a bit of a bland exercise and just, you know, narrative storytelling of his point A, B, and C and then just like working through the points. Yeah, it's funny because I watched it when it came out. I remember enjoying it when it came out to some degree. Well, and it was thinking, fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. And thinking yeah. like, oh, I could get more into this story world, whatever like that, but then never have watched it again, never revisited it. And um, the only thing I can remember about it is a giant blue wang. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, that's all anyone remembers from it. It's not often you've got a big blue guy who's showing off his penis. It was very impressive stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah so, um, it's so funny hearing you talk about that stuff because I'm only the first episode in. I think you've seen two episodes. Yeah. So, I, I just want to say the comic book, I've got no real strong fondness for the comic book. It's something I've read and I appreciate sure. oh, yeah, the sense right. that it is. But when I came to the series, I've read the comic and I understand it. But I'm particularly interested in your experience with it where I know thematically what the book's all about. I've, you know, yeah. absorbed that. I know the narrative plot of it. But you're completely cold. And yeah, so totally. I thought this would be a good exercise for us today to well, go through so. what the experience is like for someone who's read the book versus someone who hasn't read the book and how necessary it is to really do it. Well, I think the, the most interesting thing that um, you've talked about already in your intro is you're going into places that I didn't even suspect it was going to travel. Like... Um, if if I had have seen it without knowing anything at all, like I, obviously I know a bit, I've, I've, I'm aware of the legacy of the comic and all that kind of stuff. But like, it really didn't come across as if it was going to be anything anything to do with superheroes or any of this kind of like even even fighting crime on that kind of level or vigilantism or anything. It was just so uh, it was so overwhelmingly epic in its portrayal of this kind of modern world gone a little bit like it's basically uh, you know the world gone wrong on the edge of collapse in it's just a slightly different way to what it really is now like that was kind of um the, the most immediate thing uh that i picked up on from it and and i, yeah, I should say it's well, so hard to figure out where it was going to go like the, i wouldn't have would not have a clue from what you said about like people on the streets like fighting crime the actual comic book isn't that either yeah yeah right. so the way the comic book set up is that there was a group of superheroes called the Minutemen who were just like everyday schmoes putting on costumes and fighting crime. And so they're around in, uh, it's like the 50s or 60s. They end up breaking up as a team. And then like about 15 years later, there's like a new generation of heroes. But by the time that Watchmen, like the events of Watchmen are taking place, like they talk about all these things happening, but everyone's retired by that point. So yeah, right. They talk about the fact they went out and fought, fought crime, but they don't actually really do that very much at all in a comic book. Yeah, sure. It's just lots of people in costumes uh, standing around or people in street clothes talking about how they once wore costumes. If anyone's watched this, uh, if anyone's listened to this podcast before, which I'm assuming probably some of the people listening have, yeah. um, they would know that you're regularly recommending excellent things to me and I never ever watch them. Um, I'm so glad that I jumped on board with this one straight away. You were very persistent and um, your persistence paid off with me actually watching it when it came out. And like, I just, I, cu- I couldn't be more excited about it. So thanks. Yeah, well, I was super excited about this one because you got two things. First of all, you've got Watchmen as a comic book, which, as I said, I don't really have a huge amount of love for it. Like, it's good and I respect it, but, you know, it's just something that doesn't really affect and touch me that much. Yeah. Uh, So, like, I kind of knew that. And what's interesting about Watchmen is that it redefined the boundaries to what comic books could do. And if you actually read Watchmen, like, if you flip through it right now, you'll see every single page of it adheres to a very strict comic book. And there's flipping. Um, No flipping, no flipping. Um, Pretty much every page is really like a nine-page grid. So, you get, like, nine panels on every page. And it feels very traditional to what a comic book was maybe in the 50s, 60s, and 70s before they really started playing around with the form a lot more. You start seeing more sort of experimental sort of stuff in the 70s, like the Marvel age kind of really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of open things up more. 
but you find it's a very traditional comic book grid and as the story goes on like that panel progression starts changing and it starts evolving into something else and so to me like that's really a sign of a comic book playing around in the as to what a comic book is like the meaning of a comic book you can sort of see it sort of changing totally. a little bit as it goes on and totally. then there's all this supplemental material in there as well. There's essays, there's excerpts from books that don't really exist. Like, there's a whole wow. bunch of interesting things going on in it. So, you got that as a comic book. But then also, you're pairing this with Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof is the co creator of Lost. Uh, he's the dude that ran the show, uh, The Leftovers, which is one of my favorite shows. Yes, another one that you've yeah. told me to watch that I never so, have. Yeah, you've got this guy of whom's created two shows that really played uh, quite heavily with the boundaries to what their shows in respective formats could do. With Lost, it was a TV broadcast show, which played around with narrative structure a fair bit, introduced a lot of flashbacks every episode. There were flash forwards, there were sideway universes. Like, it was a complicated show for free-to-air TV. And then with The Leftovers, again, that took the prestige drama and started introducing all sorts of things. Like, you know, what if halfway through we started introducing a melody that's just the Perfect Strangers theme song? (laughs) So, like, it was something that you think is like a high-end, serious quality drama, but it's also just got trashy pop culture sort of running through it as well. Yeah, wow. But you've got someone like that who's suddenly playing with the Watchmen universe, which is something which explores its own, you know, boundary perceptions. And, you know, it was interesting to know what he would actually come up with on the show. And the answer seems to be a really dense, interesting TV program. So, do you, how much of the, an idea of the plot did you have before this came out? Like, did you know? Did you think it was just going to be a retelling of the comic? Did you think it Look, was? Uh, so, David Lindelof, when he was announced as doing the pilot, he put out this. It was like a six-page letter on Instagram explaining that he didn't just want to recreate the comic book because right. there's no reason to do that. And we should say this is interesting just because I can't think of any time where you've got a TV series which is a direct sequel from a book, let alone a comic book, like in that way. Like you got some which will adapt a book, yeah, and I- then there'll be sequels of that. But I can't think of anything that's a direct follow-on from an entirely different medium like this. No, it's kind of crazy, and yeah. and the idea that it's just that it's not being sold as a different, separate story, and that it's just coming under this banner is really cool and interesting as well. I think. Yeah, I think Warner Brothers, well HBO, really are trying to sort of have their cake and eat it too by trying to appeal to new viewers who don't know the comic, while also not telling people that it's got nothing to do with the comic because <laughs> they don't want to lose those guys either. But realistically, I think you can watch the TV show perfectly well without having read this comic book. Well, yeah, well, like, from an actual just pure um, television point of view, it was absolutely compelling. And and I didn't even get the... You know, sometimes when you're doing that, you get the urge to, oh, maybe I'll just look up this character's backstory, or maybe I'll try and figure out what this person is, yeah. and you'll do but some you reading or something. you can't actually do that, because all these are new characters, pretty much. Right, and it was just yeah. so... F- and it was so fast, and there was no, no chance to look away anyway, and it was... Yeah, I, 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 I didn't feel at all at any point like I was missing out on something. I felt like I was, I was definitely confused, and, oh, yeah. I, and I'm trying to figure out, you know. And I've, but, but it was a really good sense of confusion, and it was something that um, I hadn't really experienced watching television since Lost. Like we were talking about, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, and we've talked about Lost a lot because we were big, very big fans of it, especially mm. in the first few years. And um, yeah, there was a couple of points where I got to that same level of like damn, what the hell is going on here in a really compelling way? Like, you know, I really got to find out what's happening. Well, you sent a message to me, uh, I think it was a traditional text message. (laughs) It wasn't even a DM or to, you know, the group chat or anything. It was just a proper SMS, SMS, a single message system. You sent it to me and you said, what show does this remind me of? And I've been trying to work it out for like the last, you know, day and a half, well, 24 hours now, we literally watched it. 
as to what show it is that it might be sort of reminding you of. And the show that I've locked into yeah. that I think this is probably the closest, uh, you know, connection to is Mad Men. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Wow. And not necessarily because of any sort of thematic idea that's going on, but maybe just in terms of just the denseness and the idea that you're sort of entering a very fully realized world. And just the wow, of, that's really interesting. Just the sophistication of the humor mixed in with the way that a narrative tale taking place in different time periods. Mm. I don't know. There's something that something about it feels very madman to me, and wow. I haven't really fully thought this out yet. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's good. There's something there. Yeah, I, I, I would never have picked that, but I can definitely, I can definitely like, see what just, you're saying. It's here, something about the, the feel of it rather than necessarily anything specific that it's doing. And it's just so rich in all that kind of stuff, right? Like mm. the actual, um, the opening scene, uh, which if you've read anything about, you would have read about this incredible opening scene, which is um, based on the Tulsa riot race riots yeah, in the, the 1921 19... Tulsa race riots, which is something that. Um, Embarrassingly, I don't think anyone in the world outside of maybe people in Tulsa knew anything about. No, well, not even then. Okay, so because okay, so essentially, what happened is Watchmen went to air in the US, and there was someone who did like a Google uh, Trends chart yeah, sort of analysis yeah. of it, and there's nobody googling the <laughs> 1921 Tulsa race riots. As soon as the episode hits, within like two minutes of the show starting, suddenly it starts spiking, and there's all these people learning what the race riots were about. Essentially, what had happened is, and this is all Wikipedia research that I've done. I haven't gone that far into it. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to learn more about it because it's kind of an interesting story. Essentially, what had happened is you've got these two teenagers, one black, one white. Okay, so this teenage girl was working as a lift operator. Okay, when suddenly people hear like screaming coming from the elevator and this black, like the young black teenager goes running out of the elevator. Now, what had apparently happened is he was in the building to use the restroom that was on the top floor, and that was the only restroom he was allowed to use, like in a segregation block around there. So anyway, they don't. The theory is that these two actually kind of knew each other reasonably well. There's a suggestion that they actually may have been romantically linked in some way, but no one really quite knows exactly Mm. what the deal was. But they suddenly knew each other purely because she used to regularly work this lift, and that would be the bathroom he'd be using. So there's familiarity. Uh, there's a theory that maybe he just sort of stumbled when he was in the elevator and sort of grabbed onto her for support and that's what got her screaming and so she ran out. But no one knows exactly what happened. The mystery that no one really knows what happened kind of plays into what happened next, which is that rumours just started spreading through the town as to what was going on. And there were white people who were outside the police station of whom are riding and they're just angry about this sort of situation happening. Meanwhile, there's black people of whom are hearing about the story and they've heard that this young teenage kid has been lynched. So they come there, violence ends up breaking out, and this took place over three days over the Memorial Day weekend, and it ends up, as we see in the first few minutes of the show, where you've got the Ku Klux Klan involved, Uh, there was, I think, about 300, 600 people killed over the three-day weekend. Like, it's just this There's people flying planes over and shooting at people, which apparently actually actually happened. happened. Um, What I find fascinating about all of this is that, and this is even the premise of this podcast chat that we're having, which is that all these people are coming to Watchmen with the idea of, oh, do I have to have read the book to understand what's going on? The better question is, do I need to have understood (laughs) what happened in the real life 1921 Tulsa race riot to understand what's going on? Like, that's what people should be asking. That's what people should be finding out more about. But instead, we're talking about, you need to have read a comic book to understand this TV show. Yeah, amazing. And like, Uh, Sorry, and the other thing was that after this happened, a whole bunch of people just left Tulsa and wanted nothing to do with living there. And the people who remained, 
okay, they actually found that because no one was talking about the race riots anymore. And this is me inferring into what I read from a Wikipedia article. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. don't take too much um, stock from this part. But I'm thinking that there was probably a sense of shame coming from both sides, obviously enough. Okay, obviously from the white people of whom were yeah. donning robes and brutally murdering black people, but also because the black people had been involved in that original like incitement of violence, uh, misbelieving that the kid had been lynched, and so that kind of started. Yeah. So I'm guessing that part of it, I don't know for sure, but essentially no one in the town talked about it anymore. Like it just became this thing yeah, which was yeah, right. not being taught in schools, wasn't yeah, being wow. sort of discussed. And as a result, there's generations of people living around Tulsa who even they apparently don't really know that this was a thing. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, the way that it's shot is is just done incredibly well from kind of almost the point of view of this young child. Like it pretty much is um, the camera's down low. There's the, the planes are flying over. It's like you are among, amongst this like frenzy and carnage in a way that I just that, – that was shocking – um, especially to come straight out, of, you know, like this is how the show opens, basically. Yeah, because um, you're expecting tights and fights. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's suddenly right. being dropped into real world <laughs> just nastiness. And it was just, and it's so like um, they, they managed to capture the tension so well. They managed to capture the uh, the the angst and the anxiety that this that this kid's feeling, the the um, fear of the parents who have to send him off to be, um, you know, to, for his protection. And it's just so full on. And I, I was actually kind of like exhausted after watching that first little scene, rewound little bits of it, um, skipped back and watched a couple of bits again, just sort of like, how did they even make that happen? I, I, I was so impressed at how real and um, and, and cinemat- cinematic it felt, but well, but, but I don't even feel like cinematic's the right word. Like it didn't feel like a movie. It felt like totally different to that. I don't know. Yeah, it, it felt like very good TV. Yeah, very, very good TV. And, and, and in a way that was just, um, just dropped you so quickly into the action that it was just absolutely uh, compelling. Yeah. Um, and from there, and that's like, you know, this is the first, what, 10 minutes of this thing, maybe, not even, maybe not that even long. that, it's yeah. like five, seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, so just, it was so mind blowing. What I really liked about it is just the cast on it. Yes, all right, let's talk, let's talk about that. Got Regina King playing the main character, her name's Angela Abar, or by her superhero name, Sister Knight. Sister Knight, yeah, wow. Yeah. And Regina King, I think, is, look, it's hard to call it underrated. She was Emmy Award nominated recently. But she's definitely one of these actors of whom kind of flies not quite under the radar, but she's not really people's first sort of thought initially. But she's always amazing, and she's oh, so she's, compelling in this. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you've got Don Johnson. Oh, what, what can't you say about Don Johnson? Last thing I remember him being on TV in was Eastbound and Down. You'll probably uh, correct uh, me there. Uh, see, I never really but, watched the show. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic in that. Couldn't yeah. be more different. But no, Johnson, I think, is great, and it's fantastic seeing him in this. And we'll keep sort of spoilers to the minimum. That wasn't a spoiler, was it? No. We can talk about Don Johnson being there. Um, it's great. He's actually, like, he's very good. Yeah. It's great watching Don Johnson actually get to do some acting, because I think he's fantastic. I think for quite a few years, he wasn't really getting his sort of decent work. Like, he was in uh, Django Unchained, as I recall. Right. And I remember being kind of impressed with him there, but... Yeah. yeah, but I just kind of thought about him as being, you know, the Miami Vice guy, and then eventually the Nash Bridges guy. The Nash Bridges guy. Yeah. He was a uh, yeah, he was great as Kenny Powell's dad. <laughs> but you got some great people in his, like Tim Blake Nelson's in there, for example. Uh, yeah, Lewis Tim, Jr.'s Tim there. Blake Nelson is just such a creepy dude. I absolutely, I think he's fantastic as well. Yeah, uh, you've got Jeremy Irons playing a very interesting character. We'll get to him in just a moment. But also Lewis Gossett Jr., who I haven't seen on screen in anything for quite some time. There's nothing I've noticed, but he's incredible. Both both him and um, both him and Jeremy Irons kind of made me gasp a bit because I wasn't expecting to see such 
you know, such big movie names in this thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, you know, Jeremy Irons, God, he's great. He's He hasn't really done a whole lot lately, I don't think. Uh, I mean, he's sort of been around a little bit. So, I mean, Lewis Gossett Jr., I saw an, an episode of Good Fight a couple of years ago. Right. But outside of that, just... Well, yeah, interesting stuff. Not a thing. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, like, I think that's a pretty solid cast, and then there's, like, a whole bunch of interesting uh, supporting actors in it. But everyone's really bringing their A-game on this program. The scene I really wanted to... There was one scene that I watched twice and um, yelled at my partner to come and watch with me the second time. Yeah. Um, which would just leads me into talking about this the excellent soundtrack as well. It's got this fantastic kind yeah, it's of... it's like Trent Reznor and Addis Finch. Ah, see, there you go. I hadn't bothered to look at that. But it's yeah. but it's this great, cheesy kind of new wave, 80s, synthy gorgeousness that that um, really, uh, I think, was f- f- most effective. There's a scene where... Um, uh, there's a scene where... What's, what's her name? Knight? Oh, sorry. Uh, Sister Knight. There's a, there's a scene where Sister Knight is um, basically called to duty, um, leaves the family behind to, uh, you know, get busy. Yep. And um, it's just this one... Goes to a secret bakery <laughs> lair. <laughs> yeah, goes to a secret lair. It's so good. And, um, but just the soundtrack through that with, like, the sort of following her from behind as she goes and does all this stuff is just an amazing sort of two minutes of... Um, of television that was just spectacular to watch, and I yeah, and I immediately watched it. You know, as I say, I, re- I skipped it straight back and watched that bit again, and it was just yeah, blown away by how well the um, music worked with the scene, especially, and just the kind of coolness of of um, of of the character getting. You know, that's kind of the first time you really see that some action happening in that scenario as well. Yeah. Now there are a few aspects that actually connect to the TV uh, to the comic book. And I thought this maybe is, we can talk about yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting to me, definitely. Yeah, so just in terms of... I don't know if anyone listening is interested, but it's interesting no, to well, me, I, Dan. I think this is kind of the, you know... This is the point, right? Talk about yeah, this. yeah, great. Okay, so essentially, if you've never read the comic book before, I think that... And this is the way I mentioned in, like, the Always Be Watching newsletter that I pushed out uh, this morning as we record this. When watching it, and... Because I didn't know until I sat down watching it, knowing how well it actually connects to. So I'd read a few critics uh, talking about the show, and it sounded like it was pretty separate, but I couldn't really sort of get yeah. my head a lot of... But the way I started thinking about it was, remember when you're watching The Sopranos, mm-hmm. and there'd be the regular conversations about what happened with Tony's dad back in the day? Mm-hmm. Okay, like, there was a few, like, flashbacks that you saw occasionally, but essentially a lot of the stuff that had happened previously really informed a lot of the relationships that were happening in late 90s, early 2000s, New Jersey. Absolutely, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so they'd reflect, reflect back on them, but they wouldn't actually necessarily be... You know, pertinent to your enjoyment of the story. If you didn't really quite, if you didn't see that one episode where that referred to something there, you could still enjoy the show and get yeah, along. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Watchmen's kind of the same, where there's all these elements that took place because what they're effectively doing with this as a text is saying that there's all this stuff that happened back in 1985. Okay, and that suddenly informed the world that we're in, and stuff had happened before 1985. The way the book exists is it's taking place from the 50s through to the 80s, seven 1980s, but with flashbacks and supplemental yep. material that talks about what happened previously. So the comic book itself was really looking like taking those stories of things that had happened previously and forming what was happening then. And the show is kind of doing the same thing. So it's really taking a world that's been created and thought, well, what happened in the 30 years that have really happened since then? Okay, so yeah, it's not even directly referencing stuff, but really it's just there's major events that take place in the comic book, and we'll talk about one of them now. The comic book at the very end of it ends with a massive explosion that's been engineered to kill off what turns out to be three million people in New York City. Right. Okay, so there's a murder mystery. Well, I don't have to read the comic now, thanks. Well, no, no, this is... You've (laughs) seen the movie. You've seen the movie. But there's a specific thing, which is why I need to talk about the end of Watchmen. 
Okay, so the 12 issues essentially is this murder mystery where someone thinks that Rorschach... Uh, yeah, Rorschach. Rorschach. Yeah. yeah. Trying to work out that I've pronounced it right. I think so. If I use the word test afterwards, I'd feel very comfortable <laughs> saying it. But just the actual character, I just can't. Uh, so Rorschach's exploring the idea that someone's going around killing the uh, former superheroes. And so that's the initial sort of murder mystery taking place and then realizes there's a big conspiracy sort of afoot. What the big conspiracy is, is that one of the superheroes who went by the name of Ozymandias or Adrian Veidt, it, he's essentially a guy who's really smart. He's like a clever dude who retired from superheroing and used his intelligence to build up a very sort of uh, wealthy empire. Sure. Okay. So he had like, I think, meteor interests and um, an action line of superhero, like action figures and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, a lot of that sort of gear going on. He also seems to be living in like Antarctica with a genetically engineered cat, like a tiger. That's Excellent. coming around, like following him everywhere. Like a docile sort of thing that he's literally sort of grown out of nothing. He's been involved in this project where he wants to try to bring order to the world because it's set in the mid-80s, uh, like amid the Cold War. So the comic book is very much replacing Cold War fears. Sure, yeah, yeah. So because he's concerned about the Cold War and everyone just freaking out about the fact that it seems like the Cold War is about to become a hot war and when nuclear bombs are involved, like that's not good for anyone. So he's sort of thinking, and he's been working towards this for years, is if he can unite everyone, then they will no longer be at war with each other, but really have a specific enemy they want to uh, you know, attack. Yes. So he's trying to create a shared enemy. So he comes up with the idea that maybe there's an alien invasion force of whom are you know, doing something. Right. So he creates a genetically created large squid creature, which explodes in the middle of New York City. And kills a whole bunch of people. Yes. Then right. suddenly ends the Cold War. Everyone's united against this. And so when you're watching the TV show, there's the scene where they're driving along, and there's bits of animal flesh that's hitting yes. the car. That's what this is about. So Squid obviously, rain. something he's thought about back in the mid '80s was that if you're going to unite unite everyone, there needs to be the idea there's constant attacks taking place. Yes. Okay. So it can't just be one squid that explodes everywhere, but really there needs to be other squid attacks. And it's done in this very cool way where it's like, uh, oh god, here we go, squid exactly. rain again. It's, it's matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. Day to day life. A bit of annoyance. We've got to stop the car and wind the windows yeah. up. And- but that's probably enough for you to keep on thinking that oh, the aliens are you know trying more squid business with us. <laughs> yeah. Well. So, so do you think we're building up to the giant squid or is this another... Oh, well, who knows? Who knows? So yeah. the Adrian V character is in the show. Right. Okay. So the character that Jeremy Irons plays, of whom has not been named, okay, but all that we really know is that he's probably Adrian V. Right, right. So there's no real confirmation, but... And this... So I've seen episodes one and two. So you see a lot more of him in episode two and he starts to become a little bit more fleshed out in terms of what he's doing. But when you're watching in episode one... There's the two um, assistants that he's got, like mm-hmm. the maid who's initially scrubbing down his very naked body in the yes. first scene. And then there's the other guy who hands him a horseshoe. Yes. Anyway, the assumption that I had while watching that, and I'm pretty confident with this one, is that the genetically engineered yeah, people, yeah, yeah. in the same way he genetically engineered this cat yeah, back right. in the day, and genetically engineered a giant squid to explode in New York City. Yes. The idea that he's working on genetically creating humans, not a huge leap. Definitely what I... Yeah. Drew from it with, and that was the assumption. People think AI or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. yeah so. definitely. Because it was they, they were they were very convincing as humans, but obviously they were they were trying to act as humans. And he, the, the 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 butler who got the horseshoe and knife confused 
was very uh, ashamed of his <laughs> his mistake that he'd made, which yeah, was a funny tr- moment. They tried baking that cake, which obviously oh, wasn't very good. About that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which he, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. It, if you look at the colours of the cake, it's actually the same sort of colours of the costume he used to wear back in the day. Uh, so you know, there's a few. There's a lot of things in there for the people that are going to get it. I also things. noticed there was a lot of there, there was other imagery like that that was familiar yeah. in that, like with the smiley face and a few things that kind of just popped out of nowhere. And yeah, absolutely, were, were hugely were, were, were very cool. So yeah. understated. Yeah, one of the things you'll notice in the show is that there doesn't seem to be like an internet or mobile phones. Didn't Every, notice that. Everyone's still yeah, very yeah. analog. Yeah, so yeah. all the clocks are analog clocks. They're not digital clocks, really. Yeah. I haven't seen a digital clock anywhere. No. Yeah. So obviously, Watchmen clocks are a big sort of motif used regularly throughout it. And so you're going to start seeing a lot of clocks. But also, a lot of the storylines, and this is a metaphor that I want to try to introduce to the conversation here. Fantastic. Um, a lot of the storylines that you're seeing from the first episode going into the second is very much sort of echoing like what we saw in the original miniseries. So the episode ends with the beginning of a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And we know this is the beginning of the murder mystery that's similar to the way the comic book starts, which is with the murder mystery, yep. where one of, the, one of the major characters ends up being killed. And so, you know, that's kind of what kicks things off. Um, you see there's a little bit of blood that hits the sheriff badge that hits the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's supposed to echo the smiley face with a little bit of blood on it. Mm-hmm. So it was a badge that the character, the comedian, was wearing in the comic book when he gets brutally murdered. And Wow, yeah. wow cool. So that's where that Maurice he sort of comes from. Uh, but because yeah, so obviously lots of you're dealing with clocks, and I presume this is the metaphor that they're playing with, which is that if you think about like a clock and how that relates to your day, essentially when the clock strikes midnight and starts working its way through the day, your day-to-day life isn't really going to be that different to the day that came before or the day that comes afterwards. And really, everything just sort of slightly shifts. Like, you have a different experience, but it's not ultimately that different. We have it's this a pretty arbit- unusual day where, like, things get radically changed. Yeah, it's like this arbitrary reset we have Yeah, um, that so you, doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, yeah, you go to sleep and then you start the next day, and things are slightly different in some form, but they're not okay. wildly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that when you think about Watchmen, where you've got the storyline taking place in 2019... It's going to have very similar echoes to the storyline that was happening in the mid-80s and storylines that happened before then and before then, where time and life just repeats itself to a certain degree. And so I think the clock, when you start seeing that, that's kind of you know something the show's playing with a little bit. There was also the excellent... Um, feel free to cut this bit. Um, there was, no, no, I definitely <laughs> I was really interested, and I've only just remembered it. I was really interested in the, um, uh, the, t- the sort of terrorist action and the collecting of the watch batteries. Um, oh yeah, which was another obviously watch reference there, and there was a there was a, a, an inference that something in the old batteries had made people really sick and had caused some kind of apocalyptic event. Yeah, I was that a bit we interested living, in that as well. That we're living past, yeah, which was really cool. That's probably just more conversation, but oh, um, I mean, it definitely is. And like having watched this, like there are so many questions that are. And this is what reminded me of Lost, you know, like you had this sort of all these little things where they're just peppering you with just enough little bits to go like, what the hell are they talking about? What the hell's going to go there? Where are they going to possibly take that? I feel like it's going to be a lot more satisfying than Lost in that we'll probably get answers to a lot of those questions or that uh, they will at least reveal bits of the story um, as, 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 it, as it slowly rolls out. Now, much like Lost, people on the internet are buzzing with theories and questions Excellent. and are trying to work Excellent. through things. Uh, something I didn't understand while I was watching the show, but had someone explain it to me online. Angrily? Really, I went to a forum and saw someone explain <laughs> I was going to say, you, you, somebody went like, Dan, you idiot. No. Uh, the, there was the kid in the school, and I think it's mentioned a second time, maybe in the first episode, uh, the phrase Red Federations. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, no, Red Federations. Red Federations, yeah, yeah, right. Did you get that? No. Okay, so like I heard the phrase, and it sounded like they were talking about reparations. 
Okay. But, oh, yeah. No, that's what I assumed they were yeah, talking about. Yeah. But Redford Asians, I was like, what does that mean exactly? Okay. So anyway, it's because Robert Redford is the current president of the United States and has been for quite some time leading into this. Right. Okay. And it's, which I'd picked up on that. So there's actually a poster in the background. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Where you see it's a poster of the four most important presidents. Right. And you've got current president, Robert Redford. You've got the most recent president before him being Richard Nixon, who had multiple... Uh, he At the end of the Watchmen comic book, he has engineered it so that he's still the president and keeps on yes, right. through. So it's no longer two terms, but really it's just... Oh, right. He just gets to be president thing. as long as he wants. Yeah. And he couldn't actually see the dates on the poster either, so you don't know exactly right, yeah. how long he was president for. But we get the assumption that Robert Redford has been president for some time. And so Redford Asians is Redford reparations is like a fantastic yeah term that gets used and of course the other two most important presidents were washington and lincoln was um redford robert redford the president in the comic who's uh, the president of the comic? so towards the end of the comic you see that there's an election coming and you just see rr as oh, the wow. person coming okay which i can't remember if in the comic they actually refer to redford or not holy cow I'm not sure because it could obviously be like Reagan as well. Yes, of yeah. course. Right, but I Reagan. think in the comic they actually do refer to Redford. Oh, that'll be interesting to look into. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very nice juxtaposition there, Ronald Reagan versus Robert Redford, who would have been a very different president, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and probably <laughs> somewhat different to our current. One of the things we probably just need to talk about before we wrap up our conversation about this is talk about Doctor Manhattan. He's the big blue gentleman with you know uh, penis ahoy. Oh yes, excellent. I'm hoping we'll get back to this. Yeah. So within the comics, they tell the story about this guy named John who was a clockmaker's son. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you'll hear the phrase "clockmaker's son" as something that Adrian Veidt was the person who might be Adrian Veidt uh, made reference to a play that he's writing. Yes, called clockmaker's yes. son. Okay, and you see a little bit of this in the second episode. And I want to talk about that second episode in just a moment. But he was a clockmaker's son who ended up getting involved in science because his father saw, uh, you know, the Enola Gay bomb go off and thought, well, you know, the future is not in clockmaking, but really we're in a new atomic age, so you should be part of this. So he ends up sending him off to university and he gets involved in, you know, science stuff. Right. Uh, one night he had uh, been like fixing the watch of like his uh, sweetheart at the time, but he'd left the watch back at the lab. Anyway, he ends up stepping inside because it is a comic book and plays around the comic book tropes. He ends up stepping inside like this. Uh, I-, I can't even think what they call it. It's essentially a small room, kind of like in the fly how uh, some kind of chamber. Falls into it and it's a chamber. Uh, so he ends up, you know, getting trapped in this chamber. They can't unlock it. And so he ends up being sort of blown smithereens and, you know, he just vanishes from existence, really. But then he starts to pull himself together. And when he pulls himself together, he's no longer mild-mannered science guy, but really he's like a tall blue dude who gets around in very few clothes. But as the decades go on, he just starts shedding clothes because clothes aren't important to him anymore. They'd be quite expensive at that size as well. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah. 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 But by the time the 1980s of the comic book come around, basically just walking around naked. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fair enough. You know, more power to him. Uh, within the comic book, you find he takes a few trips to Mars and he's kind of hanging out there because he's separated from humanity and he just wants to get away from things. Don't we all sometimes? He, he's kind of pushed into it, but we don't need to go into the details. But he's hanging out on Mars and we see in the TV show, there's a news clip where Dr. Manhattan's been sighted on Mars and he's blowing up like a building. So I don't know if you even noticed that. Uh, no, 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 I didn't. Yeah. It happens for like about a second and yeah, a half. Right. It's a TV news story that's happening that, yeah, so it goes on. Yeah, cool. Uh, so you sort of see that. So the implication is that we might see Dr. Manhattan at some point in the show. He's not coming up in the IMDb, but you know, <laughs> he's a character to watch out for. 
I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they don't introduce him as a character, but maybe have some sort of uh, connective tissue to the idea of him as a character yeah, and instead yeah, right. do something else. But, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Very cool. Uh, yeah. One thing I wanted to mention is how it really plays around with the idea of kind of um, the police state that we're finding ourselves increasingly in, in all, in all parts of the world, I'd say. It's fair to yeah. say at this point in time. Um, there was this really interesting uh, kind of moral dilemma presented where... Um, it becomes a question of, you know, do you, do you support these police who have this over-policing power, um, some of which has been reined in in a weird way um, uh, t- for, for their protection kind of thing? Because obviously there's been some outbreak of martial law or something at some point. Yeah. Um, so, like, it sort of starts with, like, a body cam situation where he's a dude, like, it's an African-American cop who's approaching a white um, hillbilly sort of a guy in a car. Yeah. And he like goes through the legally required thing, talking about you know you're being filmed for this. Yeah, yeah and then and then has to go through quite a process to release his weapon. Obviously, there's probably yeah. you know because of obviously you know which I I took as like a uh, you know a comment on um, perhaps what would happen if the police actually had their uh, military militaries if the police actually got demilitarized a little bit and you know had to go through some checks and balances before shooting people which obviously is a bit of an issue in America at the moment mm. um but it became this really weird thing where it's like oh wow do i sympathize with the cops who are now got this like less um you know less firepower and are trying to bring down these white supremacists basically um it it, it was just a really interesting play on that sort of like police state stuff at first yeah. i was like oh man are they going to try and tell us that we need to is this trying to say that the cops need to have, you know, more power and less well, they, checks and balances? They play around with that. There's a later scene where they've got this large sort of assembly of all the cops. And I don't quite understand the uh, structure of the cops. So the head cop, which is your Don Johnson character, he gets around without wearing a face mask everywhere. Yeah. And he's wearing a very traditional, like, you know, uh, police captain sort of thing with stars on his uh, yeah. lapels and all that sort of thing. And then you've got the everyday street cops who get around with yellow face masks, but wear traditional cop outfits. But then it's all the other cops that get around in like superhero-ish sort of Yeah, costumes. like silver face masks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and I didn't quite understand what was going on exactly there. Oh, me neither, but it was weird but and creepy and I really liked it. Within that scene, you've got one cop who looks very different to the rest wearing a giant panda hat. <laughs> yes. Well, panda nah, face mask type thing. And he's even masked amongst all the other cops. Yeah, so yeah, it sort of yeah, seems yeah. like he's maybe like internal affairs. Like he's the one that really sort of governs what the rules that the cops sort of work to are. But then the and he seems to chastise. He chastises the captain when he allows yeah. the use of weapons. And but stuff, the police so. captain has the ability to override him as well. So yeah. he's saying that no, we shouldn't be allowing more weapons out in the streets. So there's like even internally, there's it's so cool and, and really weird. And I, I, I found that at first I was you know ready to have a gut reaction against against sort of like man, is this going to be saying yeah, is this going to be saying that you know the police don't have enough power but then it was clearly presenting it the the situation in the version of the modern world as a reaction to the over policing that has happened it was very very cool and i guess i think you mentioned you might have mentioned this already as well um but interesting to point out that they make a big deal out of saying that the date is like September 2019 at the... Yeah, because I think it's just the legalese that you have to go through. Yeah, yeah. It was really... Yeah. Which I thought was really kind of cool, too. What, what I was also thinking is, because we're in an era without digital equipment, like, maybe it's a very analog camera system that he's using. Yeah, so yeah, So, there wouldn't yeah, necessarily yeah. be, like, an on-screen display with that information. I, I thought it was interesting in, in instructing the audience about that as well, you know, using That's, that as advice to sort of tell yeah. the audience when it was, because it was... Um, I would not have had any idea, especially because you don't have those techno... You know, those modern sort of markers, like iPhones and stuff that we take for granted now yeah. in these things. Now, I was talking about Doctor Manhattan earlier because Doctor Manhattan exists in the world. 
yes. well, in the world of Watchmen. Uh, essentially, it meant that because he was around and can play around with physics, he progressed technology to a certain degree. So even right. in the 1985 of Watchmen, people are getting around in electric cars. Wow. So you notice when the police officer pulled up, like it was an electric-powered car, it wasn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I totally noticed that. Because you saw like the battery sort of levels and yeah. that kind of thing. So they've got that sort of technology. They just don't have the internet and mobile phones. So cool. And that could be because in 1985, Dr. Manhattan took off from Earth. So there just wasn't that next stage really taking place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, all that stuff's going to be very cool to see how that yeah. plays out as well. Now, the one thing I just want to say, because I have seen the second episode, is that I do wonder whether episodes one and two are meant to be screened back to back. Oh, right. Because there's a lot of things that happen in the second episode that build very nicely on what happened in the first episode. But even just to the point where I left episode one a little confused about the world that we're in, whereas episodes who actually solidified a lot of that information. I'm, re- I'm relieved about that because yeah. I thought maybe I was just an idiot. No, like it's not that. Like it just kind of felt like there were a few crucial storytelling aspects. And there should always be questions as you're entering a new world and finding out the rules of the land to a certain degree. But it just kind of felt like there was just that bit of a knowledge gap missing. And yeah, watching the two here, like episode two ends with a much bigger cliffhanger than the end of the first one. Ah. And it's a, it's kind of a, it's a fun cliffhanger. I quite like it. But yeah, there's just a few things like Adrian V kind of becomes a little bit more sort of, uh, if it is him, uh, becomes a bit more fully <laughs> rounded and he starts yeah. seeing a bit more of what he's up to. And it just kind of, it just fills it out to that degree that I think you need to get through to be excited about the series going forward. One of the scenes where um, uh, Lady Knight... Lady Knight. Is walking around through... Sister Knight. Sister Knight. One of the scenes where Sister Knight is walking around through the sort of modern city that we, we get a, uh, a little glimpse of reminded me of a very less hammy, a very much less hammy version of the Hill Valley 1985 alternate <laughs> reality from Back to yeah. the Future, where it was just kind of like done in this way where, you know, you sort of, you know, it's a plot point and you're going in, but they're just showing you these little sp- spooks of differences, like some kind of weird um, blimp in the air. And there's like, you know, there's just these little, and the, and the cars are a little bit, you know, different and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I was kind of like, I thought that was another really interesting uh the way that those movies always set that stuff up was so cool and it, and it did manage to do that even a little bit. I don't know. It just it just seemed to cover so much ground with the way it was setting up the world that was just referenced a lot of other things but was just so, uh, yeah, really, 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 really interesting and well um, constructed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I really I really liked how I th- it was referencing some of it. I mean, it wasn't a direct reference to that, obviously, but it felt it, it managed to capture some of that same feeling of wonder at an alternative version of our, of our universe, which was cool. Yeah. So I think it probably goes without saying, I've become a bit gaga for this show. Uh, it was, yes, I was, it was compelling and mind-blowing in a way that I was not expecting. Yeah. There's been a lot of TV in the last couple of months that I'm actually really excited about in that most of the year I haven't really been that enthused about a lot of um, TV but like it just kind of feels like right now there's a few really interesting shows yeah absolutely yeah. this is one definitely you know and, and I can't see I mean other than our um, mate Anthony uh, I can't see anybody not enjoying. Okay, well, uh, this is something I sort of want to talk about just very briefly, which is that uh, a shared friend of ours, Anthony, had the same reaction as a lot of people that I found when I was uh, trying to find out about the Robert Redford reparations. Right. Okay, and it was people just a little bit annoyed about, and this is a standard internet thing as well, uh, people upset about race being discussed. In a Anthony is show. a bit of a standard internet person. <laughs> Ooh. A sick burn. Ooh. No, but like... He- he was concerned, and he's talking from the perspective of Australian guy who's not that interested in US race, like, inter-race issues, okay? And the thing is, Australia's got its own race issues. Yes. Like, we're not running away from that aspect, and he'd be the first person to, like, own up to that. But he's just saying, like, he's just heard so much stuff about race in the US that he just doesn't really care about that so much, okay? But, like, it got me thinking about 
what the actual role of race is yeah, in yeah, this yeah. program and why specifically they're so focused on race. And it just comes down to, and it's not really a big leap, but when you read the Watchmen comic, it's very much concerned with the prevalent sort of thing that's really just on everyone's mind at the time, which was everyone's concerned about the Cold War. That's what was yeah. happening in 85 when it was being written and published in 86 and 87. Okay, whereas today I think everyone's concerned about, well, everyone in the US is concerned about the fabric of American society just being torn apart by lingering racial resentments and the way that's really being exacerbated by the current president there. Absolutely. And and how, you know, it can bring a bring a civilization to the brink of, you know, yeah. of destruction sort of thing, which is, it felt, you know, it, it uses like it, I look think- at Charlottesville and you, like, consider yeah. the way that that sort of all erupted and then you think, well, on a large scale, like, that really just completely destroys everything that people- We're just, we're, we're know, this far from it, you know, like, yeah. we're a tiny little step from it and if there's going to be a thing that causes, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very plausible idea that this could escalate to the point where it has a really, really damaging effect on the actual, um, you know, fabric of America society more than it already has yeah uh, so and, yeah and outside of like that element of race i don't know what else you'd talk about to really talk to the, the uh, concerns and fears of people in america right now yeah like there's a lot of issues going on but like this to me seems like the, the world is burning and, and all that kind of stuff but it's definitely not um having that same impact as yeah what that what that sort of is so yeah i, I definitely saw it as using that as a way to talk about um you know, as a, as a way to illustrate society on the brink of collapse, basically. Yeah. Uh, which was, which is, as I say, plausible. But yeah. <laughs> super interesting program. I'm super excited to see the rest of this season. I can't believe how much we talked about it already. And we did talk about it before we started recording, which we said we won't do. And I don't even think we recovered any of that ground. I'm sure we will talk about it a lot more because that is one of the things that you and I like to do. Yeah, talk exactly. about stuff. Now, something else that we like talking about is our shared love of a small indie franchise called Star Wars. <laughs> yes. Today, as we record, there was a brand new Star Wars trailer. Now, I'm not going to bother going through the archives, but about two to three weeks ago on this very podcast, <laughs> you said to me that you were not interested in the new Star Wars movie coming out as much as you are The Mandalorian. Yes. Okay. And the thing that I said to you, and I don't even remember if it was actually on the podcast or if it was just us. <laughs> it does blur. Nattering about. But it was just that, well, we haven't really seen a trailer that really showed off what was going on in the new film. Like, we've seen a few clips here and there. Yeah. But not like a proper trailer, which we got today. Yes. And so, my question to you, good sir, <laughs> is how are you feeling about the film? And secondly, how does that compare to your interest in Mandalorian at this point? And what's that mix? It's interesting. I'm very much more excited about it. I did make the... I watched the trailer with Dan, who'd already seen it twice today. <laughs> Maybe three times. Three times, perhaps. Yeah. Who's counting? Um, and I had been saving it up to watch with him. And the first, you know, the opening sort of few shots without getting too into it, I was like, oh, great. We're running around in the desert again. Oh, yeah, there's some other stuff happening there. I think the exact quote was... <laughs> Boring. <laughs> uh, cut to, you know, 35 seconds into it and we're seeing some really cool stuff. Uh, I still can't, I don't know, the, there was, uh, the space horses look pretty sweet. Um, the space, uh, oh, oh, the space, you know, I skip back over a couple of the space battle shots because they just look amazing. That stuff's just going to be so exciting. And um, obviously, I'm, it, I don't know, it definitely, um, my interest is a lot more peaked than it was. I'm still a bit more excited about Mandalorian, I've got to tell you. But I'm, of course, keen to see how the saga ends. Look, I'm probably more excited about Mandalorian, and that's just purely because I'm excited to know what a Star Wars TV show feels like. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about it, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'm, I'm excited about that. But You I'm, haven't seen Clone Wars? Uh, well, but I haven't seen a live-action series oh, like no, this. I'm just, that it's, was, it's a different thing. That was a gag. Yeah. I've seen some Clone Wars. It's fine. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> now, 
Well, I was kind of taken... There was a couple of moments in the trailer that sort of jumped out at me. So the very opening moment where you got the forest coming... I haven't gone back to look at the trailer, but I'm pretty sure that's supposed to evoke the opening shot of the Phantom Menace trailer that we all got very excited about back in 1999. If you say so. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I think it's a very similar shot that's being framed, if not exactly the same. Interesting. So you've got that. And I thought that was kind of cool. If that actually is right, I I really should have gone back and looked. (laughs) Uh, But I kind of, I like that scene with 3PO where he's talking about how, could this be the end? I just want to say goodbye, like get a last look at my friends. And I don't know where this means that we're going to see the death of C-3PO. Oh my God. Or, which would be the saddest moment in the world. (laughs) I don't think I could live. Well, R2-D2, I'm sure, would probably only last another three months afterwards. I'll never be able to show it to my kid if R2-D2 dies, I swear to God. He will never get over that. Well, because there's always the story about how when the wife dies, like three months later, the husband kicks off as well. Yes, yes. So I'm sure that's what will happen. But I mean, I also wonder if it's just 3PO being overly dramatic. Well, he does have a tendency. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how that sort of plays out. Uh, the other thing is that like all the big like space battle sequences, and this is J.J. Abrams. He has, from the first Star Wars film he did, so obviously this one is, I think he tends to evoke a lot of things that we saw from those early films. And the very strong feeling I got was all the space battle sequences from Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So if yeah. he can recapture the Return of the Jedi excitement of the space battle sequences, because mm. quite frankly, the only bit in Return of the Jedi that really works for me oh, is the space battle sequences. Here we go. Because I, I used to be an Ewoks apologist. But the last time I watched the film, I'm like, no, the Ewoks actually are terrible. Look, I've got such a... I, I saw it at the cinema as a small kid. That was yeah. the first one I was able to kind of go and see and take in. So I will never... And I got all the comics and I got the merch and I got everything for that one. So I'll, that will always... That I feel the same way about that as the millennials feel about the Phantom Menace and they'll def- <laughs> we know the, the ones that are defending it and stuff, despite its garbage. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that it's total garbage. Um, are we just talking about Phantom Menace or are we talk about all three? Oh, we could talk about all three. Yeah, tie them all with the same brush. I actually think Revenge of the Sith might actually be pretty good. It's okay. There's some... Uh, so, some of the... Like the actual scale that some of the set pieces are yeah. on are phenomenal. You could cut it back. If you cut half an hour out of it like that legend that did on YouTube and <laughs> made all those edits which have disappeared. Um, didn't. But yeah. Sequence with Grievous doing stuff? Oh, there, there, there is some pretty cool stuff in it. Um yeah, so Return of the Jedi, sorry. Like, it just seems, it feels like Return of the Jedi, just in terms of scale. And also, just seeing, like, uh, Lando hanging out with oh Chewbacca God, flying around. Oh, God, that was so cool. Yeah. I, I, it it was, got me right in the feels. I remember reading something about when the first photos came out of that, 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 that Lando's wearing the same jacket he wears in the, the cape that he wears in the solo movie. The best of the new Star Wars movies, and um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, and when he and, and but and there was like, oh god, just so that we remember it's Lando. And then someone was like, maybe it was hanging up in the Millennium Falcon. And now that Lando's got his Millennium Falcon back, he yep. was able to get his cape back, which I think is first fantastic. of all, I don't really buy that entirely. <laughs> the second thing is what I really like about Watchmen as a series was that they looked at the comics and just evolved the world and thought, well, where are all these characters going to be like thirty odd years? from now whereas when I see stuff in like Star Wars where he's just wearing the same outfit he was wearing it's Lando you know, with the a long time cape. ago in a galaxy far far away <laughs> it's just like it just seems a little bit lame to me like I like the occasional catchphrase being brought back and that's fine because people use the same catchphrases for all their lives 
Because by Jove, I suddenly do that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're in the same outfits. Like, you know, you wear through a shirt. Come on. Well, that's why I like the, I like the ridiculous story of it hanging in the, uh, in the closet in the Millennium Phone. The closets, which we've never seen. That, that's, I also yeah. like the idea that he's a rich guy. So, maybe he's like Zuckerberg, where he's just got like, you know, 35 <laughs> of the same shirt hanging. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're all together. together. Uh, and, I mean, that's obviously an exciting moment to see the OG Lando back in the flesh, um, which I just wasn't, you know, which is very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so anyway, to answer your uh, question in a short for in a short way, yes, I am much more excited about it. Having now seen the trailer, I guess marketing films using trailers works. Yeah, uh, we were talking about Mandalorian during the week. They announced the episode release schedule. Oh, did they? I didn't read that email of yours. They did. Uh, there was a big picture and everything. <laughs> oh, so I was a bit embarrassed. So a couple of weeks ago on this here very podcast, you would have heard Blake Howard uh, stopping by from the podcast The Take. Um, I berated him because I hadn't been on the take and then he rectified that. <laughs> I listened to that, by the way. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we were talking about the Star Wars uh, Mandalorian release cycle and I talked about my theory, which was that they would echo what they've done with Hulu, which is owned by Disney, obviously, uh, that they would do three episodes on day one and then have the episodes lead up to right before Rise of Skywalker comes out because it seemed crazy to me that they would allow one episode to air after they've got this, you know, multi hundred multi-million dollar film yes. you know, coming out. But no, they have one episode dropping afterwards. Wow. Where it's going to come on, I think, Boxing Day. Wow, that's May- really... Maybe the 27th of December. But yeah. Very strange. Seems strange. They're giving it a little bit of space for the movie, so it's going to be like so be a break 10 or 11 or days or something, right. but it's still... I guess so it's to weird. keep yeah maybe it's to keep the the festive spirit happening and alive and well for a few more days like maybe but I'd imagine that that's still going to have a whole bunch of people over Christmas rewatching the Mandalorian and yeah. other Disney Plus stuff very very strange do you think it will affect the film is that what you're saying you think it could potentially affect the- I just thought it'd affect the series where people are excited about Mandalorian and then if it comes to episode seven and then they have to or they go and watch like the film that everyone's excited by it just kind of diminishes the last episode Going a little back bit to the, yeah yeah because really. you kind of jumping universes and it just kind of seemed less clean than I thought they'd go for but mm. they've chosen to do this way so oh. who am I to argue with the yeah. Disney Plus gods <laughs> that's right but I was I was very sort of embarrassed by it because I'd expressed my oh, theory, you got your theory and then literally wrong. the po- the podcast is out there for about three hours and then suddenly <laughs> the release schedule comes out oh uh, look you can't be right about everything Dan oh who can <laughs> um, yes but very very excited about that how long have we got to wait till that when's the uh, so it's the 17th of November in Australia. Jeez, that's soon. Yeah, that's really soon. It's oh within a God, month. That's so cool. So we've got Apple TV Plus dropping on the 1st. Yeah. And then like two and a half weeks later, we've got the Disney Plus. I was firing up my kid about Disney and it was so funny because he's like across stuff now you know he's been he's five so he's got a, he's an expert in pop culture yeah but he just kept asking me stuff like is marvel disney and i was like yep <laughs> and he was like wow because i was like mate you're gonna love this disney's got everything <laughs> and then he went has disney got star wars and i was like yep <laughs> just blew his little mind and then i started getting sadder the more so- i had to keep going like yes did it blow his mind because he was just angry at this big corporate entity just controlling so much pop culture? He thinks it's amazing. It's all going to be at one spot. What about Look, Mickey? What about Mickey Mouse? He's weirdly into Mickey Mouse at the moment from Osmosis. I don't know. I haven't played any Mickey Mouse. Well, it's purely from branding because no one's ever watched a Mickey Mouse cartoon. <laughs> like, some, there was some Lego and stuff that he was like, oh, got, he got a little bit excited about. And um, yeah, so he was like, there's Mickey Mouse on Disney? I was like, yes, dude, it is. Everything's on there. So there was one thing that he suggested that wasn't. I can't even remember what it was now, such as the... Um, was it Planet <laughs> of the Apes? Because it is Disney. It's coming. <laughs> 
What about the Homer show, which is what he calls The Simpsons, which yeah. is pretty cute. Anyway. Probably yes. won that from his dad. <laughs> it's all on. And he, calls, he always calls Bart Homer's kid. <laughs> I think it's really funny. He hasn't figured out. That's great. I'm going to follow he, that from here on in. I thought he would relate more to Bart, but there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, wow. That's so exciting. Yes, I'm, very, uh, I'm very much looking forward to The Mandalorian and the uh, Rise of Skywalker. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Far out. What a time to be alive, Dan. It really is. The next couple of months are very... It's, it's big for us. Um, it's lucky I've got nothing planned socially. <laughs> I mean, I've got even less than usual. <laughs> so I'm going to the movies a bit more. So we, I guess do we do the thing? Watchmen, you can watch it on Foxtel. Foxtel in Australia, HBO in the US. And um, that's rolling out weekly where you'll find it on Sundays in the US, Mondays here in Australia. Oh, Mondays. So there's eight more weeks of Watchmen. Just don't hate Mondays anymore. Eight more weeks, right? Not, uh, ten, so, so nine episodes. Nine episodes a lot. Which is why I thought episodes one and two made more sense yeah, back to back. I think you're right. I reckon yeah. they've made a last minute decision there to split it, haven't they? I mean, whether it was last minute or not, but during the creative, I'm sure they created episodes one and two that mm. could work as a two hour premiere. Mm. I just wish they had. And and then Star Wars will be available in every cinema in the, the world for yeah, a, in at a couple least of a few weeks, weeks. Time, we're going to be talk- watching Watchmen and then like Star Wars in the same week. And then I'll also be watching The Morning Show on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. No, but it's cool. you got to call it the other thing. Oh, sorry, Morning Wars in Australia. Morning Wars. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's get out of here. Chris Yates, it's been a pleasure talking in this nerdy... Because like, we're such cool guys. <laughs> we're such cool guys, you can yeah. tell. Uh, no, and I wanted to just say a, a heartfelt thank you for getting me psyched up about this for once. Um, you have not <laughs> let me down. Uh, your such enthusiasm has been uh, well well received on this end. So, no, it's fantastic. Yeah. Can't wait for more. Mm. Now you just have to start watching The Good Wife. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Folks, this has been Always Be Watching. My name, Dan Barrett, joined by... Chris Yates. Uh, check us out on the web, alwaysbewatching.com. If you've liked the podcast, leave reviews, helps people find the show. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to be back to normal, talking about what we've been watching just generally. And we'll be more streamlined. It's not going to be this sort of, um, you know... Lucy Goosey whatever this has been whatever this conversation been. flowing everywhere we were like we'll smash this out in 20 minutes yeah. anyway yeah. we'll be succinct I've got notes <laughs> that didn't happen no, but, uh, but it's yes, been fun it, was, it has been heaps of fun and next week will be fun as well mm, see probably. you then Dan no promises see you then <laughs> <laughs>